You're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Milk in the Middle podcast, where we are covering every episode one by one in chronological order. Today, we're talking about Reese Cooks, which originally aired March 4th, 2001, was directed by Jeff Melman, and written by Dan Kopelman. Hi, I'm Jake, and I'm throwing a party. And I'm David, and I'm serving cookies in the shape of famous communist revolutionaries. Oh, I see we're co-hosting the party. That's right. That's good, because you're not very good at making friends. Well, no. So, of course... We have a cold open to start with. That's a pretty good one. Dewey coming into Hal and Lois's room, waking Hal up because he had a nightmare. And he gets into bed with Hal, and Hal asks him what his dream was. And he says there was a man at the door with a big knife who wanted to tie everyone up and eat their eyeballs. And the camera pans over to Hal, who has a terrified look on his face as Dewey drifts off to sleep. It's pretty phenomenal. On to the episode proper. We have an A plot centered around Reese. Mm Mm-hmm. We have an M plot, as Malcolm has a separate plot line that doesn't really intersect with the rest of the family, except for a little bit at the end. That's a B plot, Jake. What is wrong with you? No, that's clearly an M plot, David. You're so bad at this. I I can't believe we're having this argument again. (laughs) Obviously, if a character has their own plot line, it has to be labeled after them. It's an M plot. I'm glad you finally came around to see reason. I just needed that audio clip. But of course, we will be beginning with the third plot line, the F plot. F for Francis. Indeed. It starts with Cadet Eric coming into Francis' room upset that Francis has missed his third deadline for their history project, which they've been partnered up on. Francis says that he did his half of the assignment. He slipped it under uh, Eric's door, and Eric holds up a single piece of paper that's, like, folded up and says, This is your contribution? Uh, As Francis has photocopied a single page out of the dictionary, uh, while Eric has, like, a full binder. Yeah, Eric slaps a binder into Francis's chest and says, This is my half. You photocopied a page out of the dictionary. Francis says that he'll buckle down and he'll work on it. He would have done more if he knew Eric was going to go so overboard. But he promises he's going to start working on it. And Eric leaves the room, closes the door, waits like a second, then opens the door and finds Francis one leg out the window. And then, oh, he makes a comment, 68 degrees, perfect paper writing temperature or something like that. Yes. Cracks me up and reminds me so much of some of our friends when we were in, like, middle school, high school range. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I assume with you not having had to deal with public high school, you, you can't fully feel the pain that Eric is going through here. No, I didn't experience it until it was college where it mattered. Uh... Even going through, like, this in college, I've never had it to be nearly as bad. Uh, The only C I ever received was on a group project where I was the only one of four people who did the work. Rough. Yeah, it was awful. However, I did enough of the work, knowing that at least one of the people was going to be, you know, a a slouch and not do anything, Uh that we got a C. But, uh, yeah, no, the other two kind of shocked me. But, no, I never dealt with this in high school. But, but, like, group projects are much more common in high school. It's, like, a weekly thing. Oh, God, I had one my whole, like... Yeah. Oh, no, I guess I had two, like, my whole college experience. Yeah, it it occasionally happens in college, but it's not just a constant thing like it is in high school. God, that sounds awful. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, I I very... I have nothing but sympathy for Eric in this. That makes sense. As, as, As much as I relate to Francis on the procrastination, stuff that that's for a solo assignment that's when you do it the night before the night before amateur i do it four hours before while sitting in the cafeteria eating breakfast you haven't had long enough papers is what that tells me i don't know i bullshitted a six-page paper you haven't had long enough papers is what that tells me six pages is nothing (laughs) you're in single digits amateur i could go into the real world where i bullshitted you know reports I, I could go to the angle of work. Or I don't want to say, like, I bullshitted reports. Because the information is real and I had all of it. But I definitely was like, oh shit, I have to have that done. I've, I've cranked out, like, 12, 13, 14 page reports in about three hours. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I've, like, I, I've never, like 
bullshit in a paper real. Like, I, I always do the work, and, and it's always, like, the right information. I just do it very last minute. Oh, no, I, in school, I definitely bullshitted papers. 100%. As much as I hate to admit that, I made some shit up, I think. Or, I knew enough about the subject already that I could make whatever I was trying to say sound good. Right. Yeah. I, I don't think that counts as bullshitting. I do. I know me, and I know my memory. I guarantee something in there was wrong. Fair. Then, the, like, the, the, the rest of this episode is Francis going to ex more and more extreme lengths to uh, distract himself from doing this work. This, by the way, was me. Even though I know I had no group projects, uh, I, I was a homeschool kid, but this pretty much all of middle school and elementary school for me, this is how I was, and it drove my mother fucking crazy. <laughs> Any little thing could distract me. Bugs, stray strings, soda cans. But, uh, yeah, yes, to David's point, uh, the next time, uh, we, we come back to Francis and Eric, they are coming back from the movies. <laughs> Francis is now extended to derailing both of them. <laughs> and, uh, uh, Eric is upset that he let Francis talk him into seeing that talking dog movie. <laughs> But now, uh, Francis is gonna have to buckle down and get to work. And, uh, he, he leaves him there, and Francis immediately gets distracted once he opens the book, which is about the Civil War. We, we find out what their project is. So, uh, apparently Francis' portion is on Reconstruction. No wonder he skipped it. Yeah. Uh, must resist urge to get sidetracked. Uh, <laughs> But Francis, like, opens the book, starts to read, and then he sees a bug crawling, and he, like, lifts it up on his pencil to examine it closer. Then it, uh, like, cuts forward in time as Francis is setting this bug on a little racetrack he's made to see if it can beat the other bug's best time of an hour and 26 minutes. The next time we come back to them... Eric is saying that, uh, what was the name of the bug? I didn't write that down. It's Harvey, um, okay. is, is the one. He gives the first one a different name, but I don't remember the first one's name. Harvey is the second bug. Yes. Oh, which Eric is saying that he, he can't deny that Harvey's last eat was impressive, uh, but, but he has to get to work now, and Francis, uh, says, you didn't have to kill him. Eric says, yes, I did. Then, as he goes to leave Francis to work once again, Francis gets distracted. Uh, well, first he uh, stops Eric and says he's going to have to take the empty soda can. I was going to say, I think you're missing a very vital part of this scene, though. Because, I, I don't know, it's the first thing I saw. Oh, uh, what Eric's doing? Yeah, and the scenery change, and... Yeah, Eric is covering the windows, but, like, completely blacked out, and they've, like, removed almost everything from Francis's room. Yeah, there's nothing left except the desk. Uh-huh. Yeah, I can respect that level of attempting to remove distractions and Francis still being distracted. Uh, he, he makes sure Eric takes the empty soda can. And when Eric asks why, he, like, pushes it so it makes a little sound a couple times, and Eric takes it. But Eric takes the soda can and leaves, and Francis once again sits down to do the work. Then he notices a string, a loose string on his sweater, and he starts pulling on it. Then when we come back again... Francis has completely unraveled, like, 90% of his sweater. It's just sitting on the desk in a big ball. Yes, and it's, like, just, like, the collar left. The last little bit we get of Francis and Eric is they are at a party, which will come up in the <laughs> M plot. Yeah. And they're talking to a couple girls, and Eric is complaining that their project is due tomorrow. And Francis says, we have an eight-hour trip back home tomorrow. We'll, we'll do it then. Then uh, Francis introduces him to the girls that he's talking to. And uh, Eric gets sidetracked as well. And he ends it by saying, it looks like he's going to summer school. I mean, he's stuck at the Marlin Academy anyways. Why not? I mean, you assume that. Oh, yeah. I guess the other kids probably have, like, good parents who bring them home. And, like, wow. let them come home and stuff. Wow. Francis <laughs> comes home all the time. Not all the time. He's been home a lot. 
at least two of the times that we've seen him home, he has, like, hitchhiked and come up with elaborate ruses. It's not his parents bringing him home. And also, this time, still not his parents bringing him home. Of the times Lois and Hal have brought him home, it has been very minimal, Jacob. True. They let him come home for spring break. So he could work the lucky aid. Yeah, I was going to say, so that he could do inventory with Craig. Ooh, that might be worse. In fact, if they'd have just done that, Francis might have changed. I'm not saying it would have made him better, but he'd have changed. Okay. I'm just saying it's worse than Spangler. I don't know about that. Well, look, maybe I'm not far enough into the show yet, but inventory with Craig. I've done inventory at a, at a freaking store very similar to a lucky aid. Yeah, we covered this right aid. Yeah, definitely. No, I never worked at Rite Aid, but very similar. I don't know. I might consider military school over doing that inventory ever again. But David, then then you could never hang out with Garkesh. Correct. I would never have to count malt balls again. Fuck. Which plotline do you want to move on to next? I'll leave it up to you. Yeah, I guess they kind of both. I think that we should save the, like, main plot for the last one. Okay. So we should move on to the M plot. Okay, sounds good. So the M plot... Starts in the Krellboin class, where Malcolm is sitting with, with the uh, typical Krellboins. You got your Lloyd, your Dabney, and your Stevie. And they're trying to figure out what it is that Cynthia is doing. As she is passing out invitations to her party. Uh, because she uh, has been there a month and a half, and uh, aside from the Krellboins, she doesn't have any friends. And of course, the Krellboins assume that uh, Malcolm kn- knows what she's doing. Due to their relationship, which Malcolm insists doesn't exist. And the invitations Cynthia is passing out have a picture of her with, like, outstretched arms inviting people to be her friend. That's, that's a little gracious. It's like a cutout picture of her head glued on top of a stick figure. Yes. <laughs> that is drawn with arms out. And then, yeah, be my friend, and then some details on the sides that I didn't read. We, we, we should have checked that for an address now that I think about it. Oh, we should have. I might have to go back and do that. Right? Insert results here. <laughs> yeah, there was no address on the invitation, which does raise the question, how did people find the party at the end? But Malcolm is immediately concerned when he sees this invitation that uh, Cynthia is setting herself up for disappointment. He, like, starts to say something and then backs off of it and says it'll be a party. Uh, Whereas the rest of the Krellboins are very excited that they're being invited to a real party. A real-life, non-self-delusional party or something like that? Yeah, he says, a real, non-imaginary, self-delusional party. There it is, yeah. Oh, my lord. And Stevie is just hopes that his wheelchair will fit in the makeup closet. See, this is... I can't even imagine. Like, I was a Krellboin growing up, kind of. It was like the homeschooled version. I was like ultra Krellboin. Yeah. And yet, somehow, I still managed to get invited to parties and stuff. Like, in fact, our friend Justin, I took him to his first party because he got, like, through high school... And we were going to college, and he's like, I've never been to a party. I never got invited. How? And I took him to his first party, and then he got into a fight with the sidewalk. But that's a whole nother story. I've never been to, like, a party party. Really? Yeah. How? Uh, Because, David, I'm very much uh, Malcolm in this episode. Okay, I get that. I get you not being, like, going to them. But you were at least invited. Occasionally. Not very often, and not by people I liked. (laughs) Yeah, that still counts. (laughs) Look, I didn't go to half of the parties I was invited to. Actually, probably more than that. Because same thing, I didn't like the people. But I still got invited. The option was available. Fair enough, I suppose. The next time we come to this plot line, they're eating lunch. The same group of Krellboins. Cynthia is passing out. Uh, invitations to other kids, and uh, Malcolm realizes that she's inviting the entire school, and he's uh, getting even more worried uh, about how this is going to go, while the other Krellboins are getting even more excited about the party. (laughs) Lloyd says that he is saving all of his uh, good small talk for the party, (laughs) and Dabney gets upset because he's stealing... A story from the, uh, is it the New Hampshire Medical I think, Journal? I think so. New Hampshire Medical Journal. <laughs> Something like that. 
And that was Dabney's anecdote. <laughs> then Malcolm goes over to Cynthia and he asks her how many people she's inviting. And she says that uh, in addition to these people she's inviting at the school, she also left a stack of invitations at the library and another one at the arcade. Yeah, which brings up a very interesting point for me that I immediately thought of. But we'll discuss that at the, the closing of this. Okay. Malcolm tells her that she is setting herself up for disappointment by inviting so many people. As when 10 people don't show up to a party, it's a bummer. When 300 people don't show up, it's a major disappointment. Then uh, Cynthia sort of turns this around on Malcolm and tells him he's bitter by, by like reaching out. She like reaches out and like rubs her finger on him then tastes it and says, bitter, what do you know? And she says that Malcolm is just jealous because he's obviously not good at making friends. Uh, and she is putting herself out there to make friends. Then Cynthia comes over to Malcolm while he's reading, uh, off alone. And she burns him immediately. <laughs> she says, oh look, it's Malcolm with all of his friends. <laughs> and then she sits down and proceeds to converse with an invisible or imaginary friend number one. Yes. Uh... <laughs> And uh, she tells Malcolm that uh, she has a solution. Uh, she's still concerned that Malcolm doesn't have any friends because he doesn't put himself out there. So they're going to co-host this party together. Then she drags him over to a group of students and she does a musical invitation. Cynthia has the most time so far. She's been in two episodes. And she has single-handedly the most scenes of doing something that's like really cool and really suave and just would make her like the cool kid and then she just follows it up with that nerdy hammer uh-huh <laughs> and uh this is that yeah it's so bad it's it's a musical invitation that she expects malcolm to jump right in and and sing along with her set to the tune of she's come around the mountain and the arm and leg movements do not help. I am not, like, I, I'm not one of those people who's, like, bothered by, like, cringy humor. Usually I like that. <laughs> this, like, on behalf of Malcolm, makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> it was so bad. <laughs> then Malcolm, fed up to get his point across to Cynthia, drags her to the boys' room, uh, which she <laughs> says Malcolm could have found a better place to kiss her. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> she clearly thinks this is going a very different direction. But Malcolm wants to show her the Krellboyne wall, the, like, wall on the outside of one of these stalls where all of the kids in school write all of their, uh, shit about the Krellboynes. And he points out that she has the biggest section on this wall. His section and Lloyd's section are impressive, but they have nothing on her. Then, uh, when she reads what people in the school have written about her, she gets understandably upset. And she leaves sad and dejected. And Stevie from a stall calls out to Malcolm and says, Real classy. Then uh, we once again get a scene of the Krellboins eating lunch together. Uh, Lloyd and Dabney are asking Malcolm uh, what color matching turtlenecks they should wear to the party. Then Cynthia comes over and passes out uninvitations. I mean, it's, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. If you're going to cancel... Gotta pass out the uninvitation. Absolutely. Then she informs them that the party is canceled because Malcolm has opened her eyes to, to what a social pariah she is. And of course, the other Krellboins are upset that their first ever party they've been invited to is being canceled. Yes, they are very mad at Malcolm. Yes. Then Malcolm comes to Cynthia's house. He knocks on the door and Cynthia's dad answers. Malcolm asks if he remembers him. <laughs> <laughs> and her dad lists all of the shitty things Malcolm has done to her. Yeah. <laughs> Starting with throwing a brick through her window. Yeah. But uh but before he can slam the door on Malcolm, Cynthia says it's okay, she'll talk to him. And Malcolm apologizes uh, for I think it's a pretty decent apology. Okay. No, like, given Malcolm's perspective. Uh, he, he apologizes for being so mean about the way that he told her that, that her party was going to blow up in her face. Yeah, how, how does he say it? Oh yeah, I'm not sorry for telling you the truth. Yes. I'm just sorry I was so mean about it. Exactly. Yeah, that's not, no, that, we'll talk more about that later. <laughs> then, that they have like a little talk and kind of, uh, 
come to terms, and she invites Malcolm in. And then, uh, but before he can go in, people start showing up. Yeah, suck it, Malcolm. Because, uh, people have, uh, you know, found the invitations at the library, and, uh, they're here for the party. Then, uh, we get a little bit of the party. Uh, with the, <laughs> it starts with Cynthia surrounded by, like, a group of teenagers, it looks like. They're, they're talking about a piercing of some sort. Cynthia says she's not going to have that pierce, but, uh, sounds interesting. <laughs> I'm not even gonna gesture or postulate at what that might be. Right? Uh. <laughs> then we see, uh, some of the, uh, the, the, the Krellboins who are, like, surrounded by girls. Who also look, like, uh, slightly older than them. And they are talking about how cool the planetarium is and inviting these girls to go to the planetarium. Lloyd has a card that can get four in for the price of three. And Dabney tells him that once his grandma falls asleep, he can come up and sit with them. And they're wearing, like, those, like, douchey, full turtleneck sweaters. They're just so awful. A girl is asking Stevie if he's wearing cologne. He says, no, that's just his aftershave. Also wearing a pretty douchey full turtleneck. Uh Uh-huh. It's a whole, like, a straight white turtleneck. (laughs) Malcolm goes to ask him something. And he dismisses Malcolm and says, working here. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, like, like, through the course of these, like, couple scenes, you you can, like, tell that it's a big party. There's music playing. uh, There's a shit ton of people. Then the last little bit, uh, we come back, the party's still raging, and Malcolm is sitting in the corner by the snack table alone. And uh, to cameras, he's talking about how much he hates parties. (laughs) The music sucks, uh, he he doesn't even care that the people aren't talking to him, because they're all lame, and the snacks are bad. Yeah, he basically craps on everything that's happening. Uh Uh-huh. And then... So then Cynthia comes over and uh, talks to him, and he immediately says, "Uh, Great party. Uh, I love this dip. What is it? Then Cynthia, like, uh, sort of of, uh, dismisses him and tells him that she needs the chair he's sitting in, and she takes his chair, and Malcolm is left alone at the party. Yes? No, don't worry. We'll talk about the rest of that scene later. That's where the plotline ends? Yeah. Well, uh, that is where they tie in Francis. Yeah, you see Francis and uh, Eric. Yes, yeah, so they, they have somehow gotten to Cynthia's party. Right. How in the world <laughs> did those invitations make it from what we assume is Oklahoma at this point to Alabama? Uh-huh. That's some talent. Also, are libraries That's... just magic portals? We've already established... Well, I mean, librarians are monsters, so that does add up. Oh, that's a real deep joke that no nope. one's gonna get uh, but us. No, it's not It's not the joke you think it is, David. That's a Welcome to Night Vale reference. The librarians and Welcome oh, to Night Vale right, are literal right. monsters. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. I've listened to, like, six episodes of that show. It's a good show. Yeah. It would be better if the six episodes I had heard were, like, in a row. Fair. <laughs> that just leaves one more plot line. The A plot. Ah, uh, yes. The good plot line. Wait, wait, wait to just, you know, take away any excitement about the awards. You just give it away. What about awards? What? There's an award for the best plot line, Dave. Oh, yeah. I didn't give it to this. Okay. You, you refer to it as the good plot line. Yeah. One would assume. Because it contains all of the good-hearted, great honest people oh, and reese oh i see you're like morally good <laughs> yeah uh, nice cover david it's not a cover that's what i meant nice cover this plot line starts at the kitchen table where malcolm is doing his homework uh, and hal comes over and asks what it is when malcolm explains it hal asks what's dewey doing malcolm says color and he says well i better get over there <laughs> yeah he's he's saying he has to prove Kepler's third law or some shit. Uh, Kepler's law of planetary movement. Sure, that. I don't know. It was some shit that I had heard of once, maybe, and could not tell you now. <laughs> like, <laughs> Kepler sounded familiar. <laughs> then Reese comes in, obviously in a uh, state of disarray, saying that a crazy man was chasing him, accusing him of things. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't understand what he was saying, but he's pretty sure he escaped from a mental institution. And there's a knock at the door, and before anyone says or does anything, Reese says, I didn't hear anything. 
And Hal, like, sighs and goes and opens the door where a guy and his kid are standing there. The kid has, like, his hair has just been, like, obliterated. <laughs> it looks like <laughs> someone just took a razor and took random chunks out of his hair. That's exact. It looks like, yeah, someone just took random sections with the clippers. And uh, the dad says, uh, hi again, Hal. <laughs> then we see Hal and Lois attempting to punish Reese. They're giving him a talking to in the kitchen, telling him what his punishments are going to be. Uh, but it's not going well. They first tell him he has to stay inside with no TV. Then Hal points out that uh, that doesn't work because he still has to pull weeds outside for his previous punishment. That, uh, th that That's when Lois brings up taking the TV away and Reese says, uh, you already took TV from me. <laughs> then Hal, like, tries to sort out the punishments by saying he has to stay inside in his room with no TV except to pull weeds, which he'll do at night, inside. <laughs> and then admits that he has nothing. And they send Reese to his room while they figure out what they're going to do. And Hal says that maybe punishment isn't the answer. Maybe Reese needs some positive attention. Good male role model. And he really thinks it should be him. We see this plan in action as Hal takes Reese to some sort of, like, community center for classes. And Reese is complaining because they're going to a cooking class. Child reassures him is just as manly as anything else. Yeah, you know, like rifling, boxing, judo, any of those other classes. It takes a real man to cook a whatever he says. I don't know. A bolognese that. sauce. That's it, yep. I, I was considering that for an award, but I ended up not using Fair. it. Fair. That's a good line. Also... This starts Hal's obsession with cooking, which really takes him over much later in the future. A different kind of cooking. Yeah. <laughs> they go into the cooking class, and the, the camera, like, cuts around, looking at, you know, the open flames and all the knives, and Dree suddenly looks excited. <laughs> oh, and there's a, they cut a head off a fish with a cleaver. Yes. And his eyes get wide. He has found a place where he can harness all of that inner turmoil and angst into something productive. This is, uh, as we've talked about before, sort of the show uh, looking at different forms of genius. This is Reese's big one. It'll be like an ongoing thing through the show, is that he is a genius chef, which we see the uh, first inklings of in the next scene as the teacher is demonstrating how to uh, speed cut. Then, like, uh, we don't see it, but off screen you just hear, like, cartoonishly fast chopping sounds. Yeah, yeah. And, and, like, the class gathers around to watch as uh, Reese chops things uh, expertly. You say cartoonishly fast, but I did work in restaurants when I was younger, and I worked with a chef who could literally cut and, like, perfectly dice shit that fast. And it was insane. Like, you literally couldn't track it with your eyes. It was stupid. Yeah, yeah. it's a skill. Oh, absolutely. And Reese is a natural at it. Makes sense. Uh, after he chops these things super quick, Hal, like, holds one up and says, you know, his cuts are actually more uniform than yours, <laughs> to the teacher. <laughs> and uh, she asks Reese, you you've never cooked anything before? And Reese says, not intentionally. Which I feel like all of the Wilkerson boys would have to respond that way. Fair. <laughs> Uh, then, back at home, Lois is arriving, and she's kind of frantic as she is late home from work. Uh, she says uh, she'll get started on dinner in just a second, and Hal, like, like, stops her, and they go into the kitchen where Reese is uh, cooking a meal, uh, and he has Dewey assisting him, <laughs> and he's, like, chastising Dewey for not knowing anything about cooking while they're doing it. Ah, yes, Gordon Ramsay. What a great role model. Yeah, yeah, you know, that, that, that would definitely be Reese's, uh, style. Yeah. But, uh, they sort of watch in awe as Reese does this. Then Reese comes over and thanks Hal for taking him to that cooking class. Uh, because if it wasn't for that, he never would have known something so dumb could be so fun. Lois uh, says to Hal, that must make him feel really good. And the camera pans over and Hal's just like openly weeping. <laughs> then we get a little montage of the cooking class. Just like cutting back and forth between Reese and Hal. Which like we, we see Reese doing just like various different dishes. Various different cooking techniques. While the entire like arc of Hal's montage is him making two pieces of toast. <laughs> <laughs> and then celebrating that he 
did it right. Yes. Like, the first one is him opening the, like, a store-bought bag of bread. The second one is him putting it in the toaster. Then the last one is it popping out and him celebrating. I feel like... You know, Lois didn't ever let him use the the toaster at home. Uh, theory. So we've seen from uh, that, that episode, I don't even remember what episode it was, but we've seen Dewey using the toaster. Uh-huh. And it, like, didn't work, and he went to put the fork in to get yeah. his toast out. My theory is that Hal has tried to make toast once, and he broke the toaster, and he hasn't been allowed to since. That, you know, that tracks. And it also adds up to the whole Hal is... Walter White thing, because this whole cooking class and his fascination with machinery, and I'm sure somewhere we'll run across him getting really into chemistry, and it just leads down this road. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy season six when he gets his doctorate. Look, no, that happens in between shows. I understand that, okay? (laughs) He has to ditch this family and go to college, but... Wow. (laughs) Look, I love Hal, but he becomes a real shitbag. Ugh. It's really weird for me watching Breaking I'm rewatching Breaking Bad right now after having been introduced to this theory. And I'm seeing little things where I'm like, okay, yeah, I can see where they get that. I'm rewatching Seinfeld right now, which he's also, and I've just gotten to like his, where he starts showing up. And it is interesting, like watching his trajectory because it, like, he gets increasingly like out there. <laughs> it's like his character, and Seinfeld's like a pretty normal guy. He's a dentist. He's a little quirky, but not nearly as much as Hal. You know, then he becomes Hal. Then apparently at some point he, you know, turns bad. He breaks bad. He's got a whole interesting arc going. That's right. It's the life of Hal. And apparently uh, after all that, he's a judge or something. I haven't watched that show yet. Uh, The first episode's really good. Okay. But back to the episode. (laughs) Uh, After that little montage, the uh, teacher comes over and like looks at what Reese made and uh, praises him some more. And then she announces that at the next class, they're going to have a little competition. Everyone is encouraged to invite friends and family. Cooking competitions. Always a good idea. And she uh, uh, tells them the uh, prize that they win. It's some cooking stuff I don't remember. Some kind of knife. It's a six-inch paring knife, which yeah. I don't think makes any sense, but uh, maybe it does. I don't know. Yeah, I don't yeah, care. yeah. It took me a second to remember what a paring knife was. and It's a knife for pears. No. Je- I mean, <laughs> you can use it on a pear, I guess, but, like, fuck. What is the other thing she says? I don't remember. It's bugging me now. I don't care about cooking, so it goes right through my brain. Look, I don't care about cooking either, but I know these terms, so it's bothering me that I'm not remembering it. I'm a very Hal-level cook. I'm excited when I don't burn my toast. (laughs) That makes sense to me. I'm I'm no Reese here, but I'm 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 like a lowest level cook. You're a competent cook. Yeah, but uh, of course Reese is excited about this. And uh, the teacher, like, tells the rest of the class not to be too intimidated by their more advanced students. And she, like, gives Reese a knowing look when she does this. Uh, sort of like, uh, you're, you're definitely going to win this competition kind of look. He, he is clearly the best cook in this class. Yeah. Then we get to the day of the competition. Dewey gets his tongue stuck in a mixer. <laughs> He's trying to lick the batter off of. Now it's like, take it off. Poor kid. <laughs> and then give it to him. Then the teacher comes over and tries uh, Reese's uh, spinach quiche, which she says is the best she's ever had. And she, you know, gives him high praise. And then she goes to uh, the next student and tries it. What's the allspice? Oh, yeah, yes. They, they have a brief discussion about how it's so good, uh, what he did. Then she goes to the next person and she tries their dish. Uh, and she asks, how much salt did you use? Like a disgusted look on her face. And she says, just a pinch. And then, like, the lady who cooked it tries it as well. And says, I didn't use that much salt. And, like, the entire time this is happening in the background, like, there's more and more, like, noise and commotion. Then a, and another lady runs over and asks if they have a first aid kit because her husband's uh, tongue is swelling. And, and then, like, we get, like, a little look at the rest of this uh, class. It's like everyone is like looking disgusted. Someone is running, looking for a bathroom. Multiple people look sick. Then uh, it cuts to Reese who like turns to Hal and gives him a big wink. (laughs) Back at home, Hal and Lois take Reese aside to talk to him. uh, As he very clearly sabotaged everyone. Reese is upset that they didn't let him stay to get his trophy. Yeah, that's messed up. 
Wow. And they uh, ask him why he ruined everyone else's dishes. He very clearly could have won just on his own merits. And he says, well, because it's fun. And they uh, try to explain to him why what he did was wrong. Uh, like, first Lois starts to, then Hal says, no, you know, he's the one who took him to this cooking class. He'll handle it. And he explains empathy to Reese, uh, who doesn't see the appeal. <laughs> why would you want to feel bad when other people feel bad? Look, I'm not saying Reese is right. What I am saying is Hal's explanation of empathy sucks. Given the explanation, a kid Reese's age, I could 100% see the response of, why would you want that? Empathy sucks. There's no, like, moving that There's no connection to empathy being, you know, this moral thing or anything about, you know, connecting you to other people. <laughs> it's, it's literally his explanation is when someone else is hurting, you hurt too. Well, specifically, he says, when you hurt someone yeah, else. Yeah, when you hurt someone else, you hurt too. Which, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, that sounds awful. Like, don't get me wrong, empathy's a good thing. But given that explanation of that scene, I was like, you know, I get it. Like, uh, that, that does suck. Yeah, I guess. I understand that it's a TV show and they probably couldn't fit a two-minute explanation of empathy into that scene. Plus, it just wouldn't have fit for comedic timing or anything like that. But... Given the explanation of empathy as it is, as it exists in the show, <laughs> that was a terrible explanation. Kind of seems like you're laying groundwork for something, David. It's weird. No, I'm not. <laughs> I Look, I thought that before I made a decision that you were alluding to. You're the one alluding to decisions here. <laughs> you I, you need to stop having pre-knowledge because this, this is awful. You need to hold your tongue and just wait for the right time sir okay but Hal and Lois have like a little sidebar trying to figure out what to do about Reese as he's uh you know clearly has no understanding of empathy or other people's feelings uh they, they need some way to punish him and he just doesn't care and then they realize there is one thing that Reese does still care about and that is cooking so they turn to him and they tell him no cooking for the next month, which initially Reese sort of uh, shrugs off. Then when Hal like lists the things that uh, he can't make, Reese stops him and says, wait a minute, that's baking, that's different. And Hal tells him there is going to be uh, no cooking, no baking, no sauteing, nothing of any kind in the kitchen. Reese begs them uh, not to take that away from him. He gives like the typical kid spiel of he'll, he'll do whatever they say. Uh, he won't get in any more trouble. But they tell him it's too late and they send him off. <laughs> With Hal commenting that he'll uh, sit through Lois's, they call them dry or bland. Her uh, flank steaks. I think he just says your flank steaks. I don't think he... Does he? Yeah. Maybe. Uh, in order to have something they can use to parent Reese again. <laughs> a way to hurt him. <laughs> That's right. We have a way to hurt him. <laughs> we can parent again. <laughs> and that wraps up the episode. So let's go to our awards. Awards. Uh, which plotline, David, did you have as the A plot of your heart? The Reese plot. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, oh, I thought you didn't give it that award. That's I, I can swear you said earlier you didn't give that award to that plotline. Weird. Well, see, you actually convinced me to give it to that. Originally, I was going to give it to the F plot, but uh, as you're recapping it, I decided to go with my backup, which was the Reese plot. You won me over. 100%. Well, a likely excuse, but I also went with the A plot. That's a pretty good plot. It is. That's, uh, like, one of my favorite Reese plotlines, if not my favorite in the entire show. I obviously haven't seen the entire show, but it's one of my favorites so far. Bully, I think, is still a tad above this for me, but just barely. Uh, yeah, I think Bully is, like, a better character arc for Reese, but in terms of just, like... Funniest. I, I really like this one. This one's pretty funny. Yeah, and it is nice to see uh, Reese excelling at something and sort of taking something seriously. And who did you have as your favorite character? Uh, Cynthia. Okay. I love Cynthia. I wish they'd use her more. Like I said earlier, she has those just... Th like that burn on Malcolm is just so perfect. And she has these smooth lines and then just followed up by the... Just ultimate levels of geeky dorkiness. It just, it cracks me up. I love it. She is simultaneously like this badass, but also just an uber dork. 
Uh-huh. And I, I love that combination. And, uh, yeah. And she's really bubbly and outgoing. And, I mean, it really... <laughs> that sort of personality of not knowing what a stranger is and not having any chill. I mean, you met my wife when we were first dating. It reminds me so much of my wife. Like, Yeah, fair. It's just... I don't know. I love Cynthia. Yes, uh, Cynthia's great. She, she was my runner-up. But I chose Reese as my favorite character for the episode. Okay. I feel like, you know, taking Reese on his own terms, I feel like him, you know, poisoning an entire class of, of chefs. Allegedly. Is a high point for Reese's career. <laughs> and it is, like I said, I, I, I find the spotlight really funny. I, I like seeing this side of Reese. I actually kind of like that it has no impact. There, there's like no larger lesson he learns from this actually like it a little bit more for that reason. I, I kind of like Reese as the just ultimate asshole, which this episode very much. Well, what did you have as your roller skating keen award? Your best visual moment? Hal's face in the cold open. I still can't get past that when Dewey's just snuggling down and looks so sweet and innocent and he's drifting off into sleep and Hal is petrified. Uh, that, that was also my first choice, kind of. I extended it a little bit because I also really like the way that they did like that entire shot. Like when Dewey is telling his story, it like very slowly zooms in on Dewey's face. Right. But, but yeah, that, uh, that was my first choice as well. Since you took that, my backup is the cooking montage. The, the, <laughs> that was a pretty good one. Yeah, ju just the, like, disparity between Reese doing all of this various, like, really making this really good-looking food uh, intercut with, you know, Hal making the, these two pieces of toast and, like, <laughs> ecstatically celebrating at the end of it. Yep. Uh, and what did you have as your hot dog with mustard on it? Your award for the best line. Well, you've quoted it already once. I absolutely love when Eric is uh, talking to Francis in the room. <laughs> and he says, I'm not saying Harvey's last heat wasn't exciting. Uh, and then uh, Francis cuts him off by telling him, you didn't have to kill him. Uh, I just, I love that exchange. That one cracked me up. Uh, it, it was very good. I, I considered a lot of lines. That wasn't one of them. The one I, I decided to go with comes from Dewey when they get home from the <laughs> uh, cooking competition and they send Dewey to his room and he says, But Reese is the one who poisoned all those people. <laughs> is it allegedly? Yep. Is it? Yep. Is it though? It is. Before we address that, we do have one other award. What did you have for your OK Boomer Award? Your award for the moment that sets the episode firmly within its time of release. Uh, the song playing at Cynthia's party. Party Up by DMX? Correct, which was actually released in 1999. However, the music video had just premiered a few months prior to this at the end of 2000. So it was still very popular, very hot, and being played all the time. Oh yeah, this song was everywhere in 2001. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that was also my first choice for this award. No, it wasn't. It wasn't either of our first no, no, choices for this award. No, that's not true. It was my first choice. I actually looked that up as a backup. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, your back, your first backup was my first choice. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, which I'm not too happy with because it doesn't line up as cleanly as I would like. Because the, the movie Cats and Dogs did come out in 2001. But it, it came out a few months after this episode aired. Yep. Uh, which the movie that Francis uh, took Eric to was a apparently bad talking dog movie. Cats and Dogs. Which fits. <laughs> yeah, that's immediately <laughs> what I thought of. I, like... I immediately googled Cats and Dogs, so I was like, <laughs> that came out around that time. Was that 2001? It's <laughs> 100% what I did too. And then I was like, oh, am I thinking of a different talking dog movie? So then I looked at all talking dog movies. Yep. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Yeah, that, that was the only one I could find that came out in 2001. Yeah, same. I, I assume it was like a pre-jab of the movie that hadn't come out yet. We'll say that. Okay. I'm okay. That movie was bad enough. I'm okay with that. Then that just leaves the shittiest and least shitty kid awards, which I felt going in were very obvious. We'll, we'll start the one with the one we <laughs> might agree on. Uh, who did you have as your least shitty kid? Why don't you go first? <laughs> uh, I have Dewey. Okay. Just by virtue of being the only one who didn't do something bad. You know, uh, Malcolm is mean to Cynthia. 
Reese poisons a bunch of people. Allegedly. And Francis fucks over Eric, which are all bad things. On the other hand, Dewey does nothing bad. Okay, that's true. Mm-hmm. I also feel like Dewey doesn't get enough screen time to really deserve this award. You've given it to him when he's had less, but okay. That's not true. Oh, it is. I had to break the cycle of Dewey propaganda at some point. I couldn't just be the guy who gives it to Dewey every single time. Unfortunately, Dewey didn't do anything that drew my attention enough to garner this award. Also, I felt like this was a rare opportunity to give it to another one of the kids. Uh And the way you're looking at me (laughs) makes this so much better. Uh, Because I chose Reese. Uh Uh-huh. Why'd you choose Reese, David? Look, you gotta stop looking at me like that and making me laugh. I'm just getting over a sickness. This is uh, really difficult to record and do this with your shenanigans over here. And I understand the audience can't see the bullshit you're pulling on the other side of the microphone here, but you need to just calm the hell down, sir. Okay? He's going ballistic. It's ridiculous. Uh, no, I, I'm very calm. Just, oh, yeah, totally. Just perplexed. No, you shouldn't I, be perplexed. I, I'm, I, I'm giving you the look. look. Essentially, what, what you've just done is, like, said, you know, one plus one, it doesn't really equal two. I'm pretty sure it equals four. Go on and explain. I'm curious. <laughs> look, Reese, again, by Reese standards, this isn't all that bad, okay? One, the poisoning thing, alleged. Two, he, he essentially admits to it. But he didn't. May not hold up in a court of law. Yeah, and as a but judge... But we're not in a court of law. <laughs> look, I can go online and make myself a judge. I can settle this dispute. And if not, I know where to find some. I know where we can hire a judge. Just saying. And we could make our arguments. But, look, all that aside, Reese finally has some real bonding time with a real male role model, mm-hmm. which clearly improves his behavior, improves his outlook. It We finally see some character growth in a real... Viable skill. This is the first time you see any sort of viable skill being imparted to Reese and him actually taking interest in it and and moving forward. This is the first thing that you've seen in the entire two seasons that we've watched that shows that Reese has potential outside of prison. And that's impressive to me. Two, I like to see the episodes where Reese is engaged and actually just isn't a shithead for shithead's sake. Now, we've already established earlier, Reese is very much so a Gordon Ramsay-style chef. Now, while that may not be my favorite style of chef, having seen where all of that goes and Iron Chef and all of that, I've watched those cooking shows a lot by force because my sister-in-law was into them a lot when we lived together down south. And, uh, yeah, let me just say, that shit's cutthroat. I completely understand Reese's decision there. It's not morally right, but it is how you get that first win and you move on and you get into the Iron Chef. And it was even more cutthroat back then, by the way, because it wasn't all televised and popular. To get into the, like, the cooking challenges with, like, Emeril Lagasse and some of those people, alright? Those cooking competitions were absolutely cutthroat. And so Reese is just... Yeah, but take... because turning things into reality TV always brings out the best in people, I found. Oh yeah, definitely. No, I'm not arguing for that at all. But my point is, is that... It was even harder to get attention on yourself back then. And Reese was just taking a page out of Gordon Ramsay's book and doing what it takes to win. So let me get this straight. You, setting aside for a second the fact that you just gave Reese the shittiest kid of this episode, clearly the no. least shitty kid award. No, he's You're the now least accusing kid. Gordon Ramsay of mass poisoning, which no. is what Reese does. No, no, Reese does not actually poison anyone. Ah, that does not seem like it. Reese doesn't so, actually... Someone, ha- so, someone has their tongue swelling, probably an uh, allergic reaction. That's which an I'm- assumption. That's an assumption. He says he did it for fun. When they ask, why did you poison all those people? He says, I did it because it was fun. Sure. And then he doesn't understand the concept of empathy. Reese... Right, that doesn't surprise me. But we're talking about fucking Reese here. Look at the other ep- episodes. Yeah. You can't hold him not knowing empathy. Also, Hal's description of empathy does suck. It's not great, but he should have some understanding of what empathy is. 
You would think, but also that's been an issue like the entire show, and I imagine will continue. Yeah, yeah to and be. this just confirms. No, no, yes. not knowing what empathy means does not make a extra salt here and some sage here poison. There's a difference. People between... are running sick. Someone had alert. He poisoned these people. It's confirmed. It's that in the episode. He poisoned them. No, just because they're using the term poison does not mean it even, was poison. Even if he accidentally caused allergic reactions, uh -huh. Uh -huh. I would qualify that as poisoning. It's not. Wouldn't hold up in a court of law. This isn't a court of law. We're talking morally. And listen, that's fine, but just acknowledge that uh -huh. you're being intentionally ignorant of what happens in the episode in order to give this award. No. Yes. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes. Not at all. Okay, so if someone in a show takes someone to another room, you hear gunshots, the other character's dead, they walk out, nothing happens. No, you just can't prove that that character shot them. Right, but you can't hold that against them. Right. No! Of course you can! It's obvious! It's the language of the show! No! How do you think you get to cheer for Walter White in Breaking Bad? What's wrong with you, Jake? You don't! <laughs> that's not what you said the first time we watched it. No, I said he was a great character. I mean, that's the same thing to me. No, it's not! <laughs> like Walter White, Reese is a great villain. No, Reese is not a villain here. Reese he is doing what He poisoned a class oh, full of people he did, and all of their friends and family. He did what it took to for win. For fun. Reese is a winner. Yeah, a winner who poisons people for fun. It wasn't poison. The only thing we can confirm that he added to anyone's food is extra salt. Just saying. No. Yeah, that's he the only thing we can clearly, confirm. Is no, all I'm no. saying. He, he clearly did more. Allegedly. We think. It's alluded to. But the only thing we can confirm... And he confesses. No. Look. He confesses to ruining dishes. He does not confess to outright poisoning people. Uh, again, I, I think he, he may not have directly poisoned... I'm willing to say he may not have directly poisoned people. Uh -huh. But at the minimum, it seems like he almost certainly caused someone to have an allergic reaction. Now that may be. It's a good assumption. Yes. Yeah. Now. Which. Okay. If it potentially is a lethal thing to do, sure. I would still qualify as poisoning. As a person who has unintentionally given people an allergic reaction, it's not poisoning. No, no, no. It's one thing if, like, you know, you you know, don't ask or, like, you don't know they have an allergy and you accidentally give them something. Something like that. Yeah? Yeah. Now, what if you forget that this person has this food allergy because you haven't, oh, I don't know, hung out for maybe six years and you cook this thing in this spice? And then serve it to them. I mean, I, I, I'm willing to not call that poisoning, but if, say, a at a restaurant you specifically, you know, order a thing without, you know, this specific thing, uh -huh. you know, l let them know that you're allergic to it, they still give you that, like, intentionally, uh -huh. that's fucked up. Well, that happens to my wife literally everywhere we go. Yeah, yeah, that's fucked up. And what Reese does here is like a level past that. No. He's just adding ingredients willy-nilly to these people's dishes to ruin them best. At worst, he poisoned them. I See, I'll go with your at best. I, I, I don't think he poisoned them. I, I do say... He may have. It's very probable that all of the other reactions were unintentional and, and can happen. Again, the story that I was referring to personally was my brother, who's deathly allergic to sage, and I forget, like, every four years. But uh, I've almost killed him, uh, like, three times. Uh, yeah, but that's also, you know, Ryan, so, eh. Yeah, okay, so these are side characters, eh, by that but, logic. No, no, I, I give side characters the benefit of the doubt, till I get to know them better. Oh, I see. It's good to know. <laughs> oh my god. No, but seriously, I think, again, grading on a curve, mm -hmm. because Reese's, by now, unfortunately, has sunk so freaking low that I don't think he'll ever win this award without... Murder? <laughs> <laughs> It's appar it's apparently he... attempted murder's not good enough for you. <laughs> you only like winners. You only give awards to winners. No. Jacob. Oh, my God. Oh, oh my God. I'm just getting over this sickness. You're making my head hurt. Look, no. All I'm saying is, is that Reese finally learns a skill that could turn his life around in this episode. Now, does he have a long way to go? Yes. Is he still morally bankrupt? Yes. However least shitty kid of the episode only because i can't give it to dewey because you guys are already investigating all of my decisions you in the audience we all know that i wanted to choose dewey here because i'm on air quotes dewey propaganda and i intro lined with a communist related quote i have to be careful here 
The only logical choice besides Dewey, to me, is Reese. And we'll talk about one, why. Uh, the other person is absolutely out. And Francis, I don't like to reward that type of procrastination. It's one thing if you have an actual disorder that causes issues and things like that. And there are things that can be done to combat that. But Francis is not that. Francis is just fucking lazy. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So, no, I, I don't reward that type of procrastination. Now, usually, I can appreciate it. But when it comes to screwing over other people, can't reward it. Sorry. Agreed. So this is why Reese is the least shitty kid. Because you and the internet and all of your stupid sleuthing and trying to prove that I am on some sort of agenda here have removed Dewey as an option. Reese is the only logical one left. And he actually gains a good, valuable skill. Well, I, I, I would say learning a skill does not make you any morally better or worse than you were before. If it has the ability to change your trajectory in life, I would absolutely disagree. Mm. But that's a whole philosophy mm. debate. Yeah. Mm. Taking an actual active step to improve oneself makes you a better person. Well, we'll, 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 we'll set that aside. Let's, uh-huh. let's, let's not start another argument. Uh, so why did you think uh, Malcolm being mean to Cynthia was worse than mass poisoning? <laughs> <laughs> I like that you... <laughs> I'm just trying to, you know, <laughs> phrase it in a very non-biased... Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> ...manner. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're not trying to tip the scales here at all. Look, David, I'm just I I'm need... just taking a fair and balanced approach to this. Oh, process. not even close. How are you not under investigation at this point? This is ridiculous. You pay the internet trolls at this point, I bet. That's the Fox News slogan. It's is fair it? and balanced, yeah. How would I know? I don't fucking watch that. Everyone knows. Yeah, everyone pays more attention to Fox News than I do. (laughs) Look, I haven't watched Fox News since I was forced to at my private security job over a decade ago, and I didn't really watch it. It was just what was always playing in the cafeteria when I did my rounds. All right, getting back to why Malcolm sucks. Mm -hmm. Okay, look, Cynthia is upbeat. She, yes, she's delusional a little bit about how things work socially. That's okay! Quit trying to cram everyone into your miserable little fucking box, Malcolm, you piece of shit. And everyone else, too. The world tries to do this to people. I've watched them do it to my wife. I've watched them do it to her sister. I've watched them do it to every upbeat, happy fucking person I know. Just because you're a miserable pissant and a cretin doesn't mean you have to fucking force everyone else down to your fucking level. If they're happy and hopeful, fucking let them be happy and hopeful. Fuck you, Malcolm. That's why Malcolm's a that piece is- of shit. But, but you're not looking at it at all from Malcolm's perspective. You're not having any empathy, David. So I understand. Yeah, that sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree. It's, it's why Malcolm was out of consideration for Lee Shitty Kid. Right. So I agree. He, he's an asshole to Cynthia. He shouldn't have done that. But I, I do think his motivation from his perspective, and again, I think he's wrong. But from okay. his perspective, he's trying to like ease what he sees as like an inevitable blowing up in Cynthia's face. Uh-huh. He's trying to mitigate the damage that's going to do. Uh-huh. He has, while, while he goes about it the wrong way, he at least has a good motivation for what he's doing. He okay. is trying to help Cynthia. Okay, I can, I can understand that again coming from his perspective, but he's still very wrong. True. Okay. And two, when he realizes he's gone too far, he does apologize. Again, it's not a very good apology. It's I will a give you. apology. And I will say, Malcolm is definitely second shittiest kid in this episode. I will give you that, for sure. But he does apologize to Cynthia. Sure. And at the end of the episode, we see Malcolm is, he's suffering here, and he's going to continue suffering because he can't break out of his bullshit. Right. The, the person who ends up suffering the most in this episode from Malcolm's shitty cynical worldview is Malcolm. Yeah, and you see him try to this this is another reason why he's on the shittiest. Like he you see him try to like loosen up and have a little bit of fun, but he's got that stick shoved so far up his own ass that he stops himself, shuts himself back down and just leans up against the fucking banister there and wallows in his little self-pity and ooh, everything isn't as miserable. Like it almost looks like he's upset that Cynthia is having the party that she wanted and having a good time. I like what a dick. No, that, that that's not quite how I interpret that indeed. I, I I see it as like even when everything has turned around and gone the right way, because Malcolm is so stuck in his own head, he still can't enjoy it. See, I don't I don't see that at all. I because he like 
the body language there. I, I get why you would look at it that way, again, as someone who self-identifies with Malcolm, but the body language of the attempting to dance, and he starts to cut loose, he's even having fun, there's a smile on his face, but then they have him, and I don't know if this is just a in-the-moment kid thing or if it's actually planned, but he very clearly looks around, and again, now... Because people might see him as something other than what he wants to be seen as, which is this fucking egotistical little barrier shell that he's put up. He fucking immediately shuts down after he looks around, even though no one's looking at him, and leans back up against the banister, and, and like, it doesn't seem, like, if it was a shy or a meek thing, it, it doesn't, the body language doesn't convey that at all. And it does to me. It doesn't to me at all. Uh, to me, it looks like he, he starts doing his dance, realizes how dumb he looks, which is very. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and that immediately stops. See, it doesn't look like that at all to me, because generally, again, meek body language is, you know, shoulders relax, head goes back or down, things like that. Now, that could just be child acting, having difficulty portraying what was supposed to be put there. But, again, I see your face, so stop. Frankie Muniz has shown himself to be an incredible freaking actor at this point. So I... I now, the, the body language conveyed that to me. I, mm. I don't think so. Okay. It, it does not seem like he's being all meek and, and shy. It just... no, I wouldn't call it meek or shyness. I, I, I think it's more embarrassment is what I get from him there. Maybe. Maybe embarrassment. But still... Wah. Suck it up, buttercup. Wow. Look, it's okay to make an ass out of yourself sometimes. In fact, it's healthy for you. True, but I don't. I, I, I have a lot of sympathy for Malcolm in that regard. I know you do, but regardless, even past that, I, I just, I don't think that's really what that scene conveys to me. And he's very fake, which is what he was bitching about everyone else. He complains about everyone being fake, the music sucks, the food sucks... Uh-huh. Because he's bitching. Because he's yeah. Malcolm. Yeah. Malcolm can't not bitch. Yes. And then the minute Cynthia comes around, he says, oh, hi, Cynthia. Love a, the music. Is da, a da, polite da, da, da. guest? No. Yes. If you're at a shitty party, you 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 still be a polite look, guest. And be like, yeah, this is I, great. I'm not saying, look, I'm not saying. Yeah, fuck Malcolm for being polite. What I'm, a piece of shit. No. So you, much uh, worse than poisoning. Let me finish a sentence, you piece no. of shit. No. <laughs> I'm not saying he should have been shitty to her and been like, oh, this party sucks. So I'm not having any fun. No, the point is, is that he very very clearly excitedly hops up to talk to Cynthia. He's being one of the fake people that he's bitching about. Oh yeah, for sure. That's where I was going with that. No, yes, he should have been like, hey, this is great. Because again, like you said, he should have been polite. That's like the one thing Malcolm does fucking right in this episode. But he is an absolute tool and he is such a dick to Cynthia. His apology, you can't have it both ways. I love to hate the way that he apologizes because he says i'm not sorry for telling you the truth i'm just sorry i was so mean about it no that's not the way it works you can either try to be mr cold hard fact truth mr or you can actually have some human empathy and deliver news with that they don't mix you just become a pretentious asshole when you try to mix them uh see uh i don't know it, it feels more like malcolm trying to be a good person and falling short but he's at least trying which is more than you can say for reese reese actively did something so did malcolm he went to their house and apologized he tried Malcolm, Mal Malcolm went to was their house. forced into doing something, found he enjoyed it, and then continued doing a thing he enjoyed. Uh -huh. That's his big moral awakening. Malcolm uh -huh. went, this is a big thing for Malcolm, going and uh -huh. apologizing to someone. Even if he uh -huh. fucks it up, uh -huh. grading on a curve, this is improvement for Malcolm. He is tried it? to do the right thing. No. Look, this is, this is, oh my god. See, you cut me off again, and I'm so sick, I'm having trouble recalling everything I was going to say. Um, but... No, Malcolm is an absolute tool, and he didn't go to apologize. He realistically went to say, I'm right, but I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. That's not, that's not an apology. That's, that's, and she calls him out, too, of, he's just absolving his guilt. Which, I, you're right, we've already established. Malcolm is capable of feeling guilt. Reese still has a lot of work to do to get to that point. Yeah. Yeah, that's all Malcolm was doing. Ma this wasn't actual any sort of apology or, or feeling anything aside from assuaging his own guilt. 
Mm. how he treated Cynthia. And she calls him out on it, and I agree with her. Mm. And Cynthia's not wrong. Cynthia has yet to be wrong in either episode. I guess. Cynthia is my ultimate character witness. (laughs) Boom. Let's move on to our last segment. So our last segment is David's Guessing Game, which for this episode, you did decent... Uh, you, you thought that Reese would become, like, hyper-obsessed with a whole mech class, which this is fairly close to. Yeah. And you said that he would become, specifically, a Gordon Ramsay-style bully. Bam. Which doesn't... No, that, that doesn't really... He do, he's not, like, yelling and stuff while he's cooking. That, he, he has a very different evil thing he does than Gordon Ramsay. Gordon Ramsay isn't always yelly. The way he talks to Dewey... Who is his apprentice okay. and the person yeah, he's yeah, teaching? Yeah, yeah, that that's that's fair. That, that in that one moment, I will agree. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll I'll give you some points for that. He does have a Gordon Ramsay moment. Fair enough. Okay. And you thought that this would bring Malcolm and Reese into conflict? I did. Uh, I you was you wrong, thought man. Malcolm would be like jealous of Reese's cooking skills? Yeah. And realistically, what I meant there was I actually thought that he would be jealous of, like, the attention. Yeah, yeah, I I think that's what you said. But I was way off base. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Malcolm's plot is pretty much completely separate. Yeah. But I am willing to give you an 84 for this one. All right, I'll take it. And what do you think happens in the next episode? Tutoring Reese. Oh, no. Tutoring Reese. Well, I'm going to say that Malcolm gets forced to tutor Reese... Probably because he's going to get held back or something if he doesn't increase his grades or some such or pass some test or whatever. Okay. And obviously Malcolm's not going to want to. I don't know how close to the end we are. Uh, To the end of the season? Mm Mm-hmm. We have four episodes left, I believe. Four episodes left? No. All right. Or wait, no, no. This is a longer season. It's more than that. We have, I think, six episodes left. Maybe... There's so many ways they could go with this. So I was thinking maybe they bring in the Krellboins for backup. Yeah, I'm going to go with that. They have, he has difficulty and he brings in Krellboins to try to help him. I'm sure there's other stuff going on in the episode. But at this point, I have no friggin' clue what that's going to be. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's fine. I feel like for this, you're mostly trying to predict the, you know, A-plot. Right. Yeah. If you ever want to, like, take a wild stab at what the, a Francis plotline's going to be, go for it. But I, I don't think you're required. Okay, that's all I got. Okay. I don't know what else it's going to be. That's good enough for me. Okay. That wraps this episode. Thank you for listening. If you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter, where we are unfair underscore podcasts. Uh, It's also where we put up weekly shittiest and least shitty kid polls. Or you can reach us by email, where we are lifeisunfairpod at gmail.com. And if you enjoy the banter back and forth here and you want to catch us live, you can head on over to twitch.tv slash lpdeathray, where we live stream video games and chat and answer questions and just generally hang out. Thanks for listening, and remember, life is unfair. I wonder how many people who listen to the show, like, think we actually hate each other.